I wonder this morning, what are you hoping for? You know, often in life, we start out hoping maybe to make some friends. We hope to make the grade in school. Then as life goes on, we hope for different things. Sometimes we hope to get a job. Uh, Sometimes we hope to, um, you know, we hope that he asks me out. Or maybe you hope he doesn't ask you out. (laughs) Or you hope, maybe you hope to get married. Um, Sometimes you hope to have children. You hope that you'll have kids in the house. And then if you have kids in the house, over time you hope to get kids out of the house. (laughs) We have these things throughout life that we hope for. You know, I hope to retire. I hope to buy a house, a hard thing to do in this city right now. I'm hoping the nursing home will be as fun as college was. (laughs) We hope for different things. Throughout life, we have these hopes. And I wonder this morning, what are you hoping for? When Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, Jesus rides in with a message of hope. And the crowds that gathered that day for Jesus were also hoping for something. They were hoping for their, for their king, their Jewish conqueror who would set them free from occupation. They, of course, got something different, as we often do. They wanted a ruler, but what they got was a savior. They were hoping for someone to be their king. And today on Palm Sunday, we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about Jerusalem, Denver, and the kingdom of God. So this morning, that's our map, Jerusalem, Denver, the kingdom of God. Because as we come to the ancient scriptures, what we're doing is we're considering the story of the Bible, which today is set in Jerusalem. And then we're bringing our stories to the story, the big story, the meta-narrative story. So we're going to start with Jerusalem, this story in the Bible. Then we're going to talk about Denver, kind of the place we live today, the world we live in today. And then we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. So first, Jerusalem. Every story deserves a great setting. And this story's great setting for Holy Week, the final days of Christ's life on earth, is the setting of Jerusalem. Now, I don't know how much you know about Jerusalem, but what a fascinating city. Jerusalem is one of the oldest cities in the world. Uh, Evidence indicates that area was settled as far back as the Copper Ages, uh, which is sometime in the fourth millennium BC. There's some evidence that a permanent settlement existed in this same area as early as the Bronze Age, which was around 3,000 to 2,800 BC. Not only is Jerusalem one of the oldest cities, but it's also one of the most contested. Did you know, according to historian Eric Klein, the city has been destroyed at least twice, besieged 23 times, attacked an additional 52 times, and captured and then recaptured 44 times. This is Jerusalem. The name Jerusalem occurs 806 times in the Bible. Uh, 660 
times in the Old Testament, 146 times in the New Testament. And that does not even include all the synonyms that are used to talk about the city in the Bible. Jerusalem is home to some of the most holy sites for three major world religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. So for followers of Christ, the city is significant because it's the location of Jesus' Last Supper. It's the location of his arrest, trial, crucifixion, his nearby burial. It's the location of his resurrection and post-resurrection appearances, his ascension, and his promise to return. So if you join the uh, 2020 Platte Park pilgrimage that we're doing to the Holy Land, you literally walk in the footsteps of Jesus. You go to the places where Jesus stood and taught. It's quite incredible. There, um, if you're still thinking about the trip, there are six spots left, so indicate that on your uh, connection card if you're interested. But so amazing to stand in these places. So for followers of Christ, significant historical locations. Um, for Jews, the city is home of the Western Wall. This is a remnant of the retaining wall of the Mount of the Holy Temple. Uh, Erica Chernovsky says this, Jews believe that this was the location of the foundation stone from which the world was created and where Abraham prepared a sacrifice to sacrifice his son Isaac. Many Jews believe the Dome of the Rock is the site of the Holy of Holies. Uh, the Holy of Holies located in the Temple Mount is really the most sacred site for Judaism. And then in Islam, the Dome of the Rock is significant because this is, uh, this is where Muslims believe Muhammad ascended to heaven after being transported from Mecca to the location um, where the Al-Aqsa uh, Mosque now is. But that site is the third, the Dome of the Rock, it's the third holiest site in Islam. Pretty fascinating place. So for Muslims, it goes Mecca, Medina, Dome of the Rock. Jerusalem is a very interesting place. When you walk there, literally, the city is divided into quarters. And you walk through these different quarters, the Jewish quarter, the Muslim quarter, the Christian quarter, the Armenian quarter. So Jesus, in this story that Tim just read, enters this city, Jerusalem, on Palm Sunday. And the crowds that day are hoping, they're hoping for something. They are hoping he will be their new political king. That's what they're hoping for. And Jesus may not have been the king that the crowds were hoping for, craving for, but that is because their cravings were misplaced. See, there's a difference. I think there's a difference between hoping for something and hoping in something. The people that day were hoping for a new earthly ruler, a new political king, they wanted to use Jesus to get that thing that they were hoping for. And Jesus was about to launch a completely new kind of kingdom. So that's Jerusalem. All this happened on that day in Jerusalem. Let's talk about Denver, though. Let's bring our stories to this story for a moment. We live in Denver, in the U.S. 
in 2019. What does that mean for bringing our stories to this story? Um, if you are at all a fan of US history, you know there's different periods of time in our history as a nation where historians look back and they name the era something. So the War of 1812 that we won against England, uh, in the years that followed that war, were, uh, they were years that were, um, the nation was united. Uh, there were good feelings. Uh, there, it was a time where we had national unity. So historians refer to the years following that war as the era of good feelings. The era of good feelings, which just kind of makes you wonder, like, how will historians remember this era? Will, uh, will they be like, yeah, that was the era of memes or internet trolling? Or um, that was the era when we binge watched Netflix <laughs> to like 3 a.m. That was the era when we did that crazy floss dance. Like, what will they remember us for this era? I mean, just when you think about sort of the tone, what will be remembered in this era? Do you think that it will be an era with t where we will remember deep political divides, gap between wealthy and poor, a certain level of optimism or pessimism? It's interesting when you just sort of step back and think about the era that we live in and how will historians write about this era. There are a lot of indications that we are living in an era where we're facing a shortage of hope. John Hopkins says depression and anxiety are up in all of the age groups, but they're especially up between ages 12 and 17. A couple of economists from Princeton have um, talked about this phrase, the diseases of despair. And they have said that the Center for Disease Control has basically said for three consecutive years now, the life expectancy rate in the US has declined. And that hasn't happened in like a century, over a century. And it's not because of heart disease and it's not because of cancer. Those deaths are actually down. The causes of death that they are citing are drug abuse, the opioid crisis, alcohol-related deaths and suicide. So in the last 20 years, deaths to those causes that you might call like diseases of despair have almost tripled. It's like we and our children are dying of hopelessness, diseases of despair. Uh, sociologists say that in Western society right now, marriage rates and birth rates, the likelihood to get married the likelihood to give birth, marriage rates and birth rates are declining. And they say this happens in societies when there is a lack of hope. I mean, we outgrow a ton of stuff, but we don't outgrow our need for hope. We need hope like we need oxygen. And when we don't have it, we despair. So what are you hoping for? You know, when you hope for something, one of two things can happen. 
you either don't get that thing you're hoping for or you get it and you realize often it wasn't all that. Tim Keller, who's a pastor and author, uh, he quoted a New York columnist um, who had known a lot of famous people, people like Sylvester Stallone and Julia Roberts. Uh, and, and, um, and this columnist, she knew these people back when they were obscure, before they were famous. And she wrote an article and she said, you know, a lot of people move to big cities like New York in the hopes of making it big. And of course, most of them don't, but then a few of them do. And uh, they get that success that they're looking for, but then they realize it wasn't all they were hoping for. And it's interesting, she says this in the article. One of the funny things was that after they got famous, if anything, they were more unhappy, angry, and mean than they had been before because that giant thing that they were striving for, the fame thing, that was gonna make everything okay, that was gonna provide them with fulfillment and happiness, had happened and nothing changed. They were still them. They were still them. We are, we're just a people who are hard to satisfy. And it's really quite profound when you think about what that has to say about humanity, about how God made us. Soren Kierkegaard said this, if there were nothing eternal in a man, he could not despair. But we do, and you do. If there were nothing eternal in a man, he could not despair. Like, if we were just a bundle of appetites, then the pursuit of pleasure and the pursuit of things, that'd be the end of the story. But we're not just appetites. We're not just instincts. We have another kind of desire, a desire that cannot be met by anything in this world. It's a desire for God. One of the authors of the Bible said this in Ecclesiastes 3. God has set eternity in the heart of man. And that's why capitalism, socialism, workaholism do not ultimately fulfill us. Because if there were nothing eternal in a man, he could not despair. But we do despair. You do, and I do. There are times in the quietness of the night where you ask those questions, why am I here? And who am I? And what's really important? And what's not that important? If there were nothing eternal in a man, he could not despair. So the deeper question really becomes not just like, what am I hoping for? But what am I hoping in? What am I hoping in? Like, when everything falls apart, what am I hoping in? Or when I get all the stuff I was hoping for and realize it wasn't all that, what am I hoping in? What, where is my ultimate hope? Is there like a hope underneath all the other hopes, like a bedrock hope, like a hope for the soul? Hope in is much deeper than hope for. Hope in 
can be for you and I an anchor for our souls. I mean, sometimes we sing this song, my hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we go on, you know, I dare not trust a sweeter frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. In Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When it comes to hoping in, your hope can either be in something circumstantial, or your hope can be in something eternal. I mean, when you think about the story of the scriptures, the different stories we read in the Bible, the, the scriptures are written by people who are rarely in great circumstances themselves. And they are rarely writing to people in great circumstances. And they're rarely predicting great circumstances. I mean, so often the stories of the Bible are these stories of God working in the midst of not great circumstances. I mean, think about it. God's people, they're wandering in the wilderness for like 40 years. And they're so miserable, they would rather go back to slavery in Egypt. They'd rather be slaves than wandering. Not great circumstances. But God is about to deliver this new people, and they will be the hope for the world. I mean, think about David and Goliath. A young boy comes up against a huge man, Goliath. Usually when we come up against a Goliath in our own lives, we're like, this is terrible. Woe is me. This is awful set of circumstances. But David had no idea what was about to happen in that story. When you think about Joseph, I mean, he's this strong man, this bright man, this very uh, lots going, a promising future for him. He gets buried in a prison cell. Like it feels like the end. Like what good could come of this? And yet God is about to raise him up to be almost like the prime minister of his day. You think about Esther. I mean, Esther thinks she is about to get totally destroyed. But God is about to save her and then to use her to save his people in a story that's going to be remembered thousands of years later. Often the people in the Bible, they're writing from not great circumstances to people in not great cir circumstances. The scriptures have a lot to say about what we put our hope in. Because when your hope is in something other than God... What tends to happen is you will try to use God to get that thing you're hoping for. So I will use Jesus, I will use my faith, I will use God as a means to get the thing I'm hoping for. If your hope, for example, is like in fame and fortune, you'll be praying to God to get that thing you're hoping for. You'll try to use faith to achieve what you're hoping for. If your hope is in security and safety, same thing. You'll pray that God will give you that thing you're hoping for. If your hope is in a political system, you'll attempt to use God to get your agenda done. And that always leads to division and fighting and violence. The way of Jesus, though, prays, not my will, but yours be done. 
this is the way of Jesus. The problem with religion is sometimes Jesus gets co-opted by an agenda that's really an agenda for power or popularity or pleasure or politics or some other thing. In the name of Jesus, we pursue other kingdoms and we hope for things rather than hoping in the one who holds all the things. So to hope in Christ is really to hope in a kingdom unseen. To hope in God is very upside down. It's a very upside down value set. It is misunderstood. It appears very quirky in this world. To hope in God is to hope in personally in a past that's fully forgiven, in a presence that is always present, that God is always with us, in a future that's secure. This is to hope in God. And the way of Jesus, following in the way of Jesus, not my will but yours be done, always leads to a life loving mercy, loving justice, walking humbly with God. Peter wrote this uh, later in his life. He wrote uh, in 1 Peter 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There is a kingdom that God invites us to live in, and it's not a kingdom of this world. It's the kingdom of God. It is that place, any place, where God is king. And you and I can begin living in that kingdom now. The kingdom of God. And there's a reason why the crowds on Palm Sunday, they were in celebration, even though they were confused about Jesus' actual mission. They were in celebration because Christ offered then and offers now something the human soul needs like we need oxygen. Jesus is offering hope. He was saying there is a kingdom that's beginning now that you can live in. So my question is, what are you hoping in? Following God in the way of Jesus, it's not, it's not just about like going to heaven when you die. You know, Jesus actually never said, pray this prayer and you'll go to heaven when you die. But he did talk an awful lot about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. And you can live in that kingdom now. In a little book uh, N.T. Wright wrote, he poses a series of questions about the resurrection and what it means for our lives. And I just thought uh, today on Palm Sunday, it would be meaningful for us to close with this as a review of what it means to live in the kingdom of God. That it is not about just pray a prayer and go to heaven when you die. What following God in the way of Jesus is living in this kingdom that God has started 
And that is present now, and that will go on into eternity. So the way this is going to work, there's five questions he poses, and then there's a response to those questions. So I will read the question part. I invite you to read the response part as we close. Who are we? We are the resurrection people, a people born again into God's new world by the power of the Spirit in baptism and faith. Where are we in God's good creation, which is being restored day by day in and through our actions, in bodies that will be redeemed, even though they are still prone to suffering, decay, and will one day die? What's wrong? There's still work to be done. Sin and death have been defeated, but their presence is still felt in our world. The antidote has been administered, but we still have the painful effects of recovery ahead of us. What's the solution? Constant participation in the new creation with an anticipation of the full and final redemption of the creation and ourselves with it. What time is it? Time to get to work. We live now in the overlap of God's kingdom being accomplished and it being actualized. We embrace the former by faith and we live each day in active anticipation of the latter. May we live in this kingdom increasingly today and henceforward. Let's pray. God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we hope in you more than we hope for things from you. God, you are good. Your ways are just. You are our hope. Build your kingdom inside us that we might participate in your life, which is the only true life, we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.